across the road, pecking gravel in the noonday sun. Shaking her tail like the queen of the yard, not minding anyone. Welcome to the Crude Life Weekend Review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us here on the Crude Life Weekend Review. we got a great show in store for you today, so we're not going to do much of an intro, and we're going to get right into the program. Brief overview of today's program. William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, gives us an update on the air quality permit report and some misinformation from the Associated Press. Then we talk with Josh Swanson with Vogel Law Firm about the Wilkerson Lake Sakakawea court case. This is a weird court case that just keeps coming around and around and around, but it's a growing trend of the state of North Dakota getting into the business of industry and competing with a lot of different businesses as well as trying to get ownership of mineral rights from landowners. Very interesting talk with Josh Swanson coming up a little later in the program. And then Nicholas Burris, Magna Burris Oil. They're headquartered in Wyoming, and they have a uh, satellite office out in Paradise, California, that were impacted by the wildfires. So we talk with Nicholas Burris about that as well, plus much, much more on today's episode of The Crude Life Week in Review. All right, when we come back, William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group with the Davis Refinery, Coming to Belfield, North Dakota, in just a moment. My name is Jason Spees, and this is the Crude Life Week in Review. Jason Spees, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spees on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spees, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spees. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us here today. All right, coming up next, William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, talking about the Davis Refinery. Some of it has to do with patience, to where you guys have been extremely patient through this ordeal. I've joked, I think probably six months ago, I started joking that you guys have the patience of Job. And now we're here six months later, and we're still talking about some of the same things that you guys have already been validated for. You know, when we're talking about energy tech and the cleanest refinery on the planet and some of the advanced innovation you guys have had, all of in the comments to the public and this and that, a lot of this has been transparent, if not all of it. I mean, these 900 pages, these are available to the public, aren't they? And you guys have been very transparent to this whole thing. Um, is, is that 11,000 emails, do you think that kind of represents... What's going on here is that those 11,000 emails were copy and pasted. I mean, even the state, the state health told me that, that um, the North Dakota Department of Health said that like 99% of them or 95% of them were basically worded exactly the same. So it gave the appearance that it was copy and pasted or somebody had a centralized um, campaign against this. Is that kind of what's going on here? Is that it's really being magnified and you guys are just having a lot of patience through this? I mean, do you understand my question? Because there's a lot there to unpack. But Well, yeah, and I, you know, it's a, if the question's vague, it's because the situation is vague. And I, you know, we, 
had to address everyone's individually of those comments, but you're right. Uh, quite a few of them were uh, copies, you know, from an email blast uh, from an organization that has always had kind of a knee-jerk anti-reaction to what we're trying to do and has refused to, to even talk to us about what we're, we're trying to accomplish here. Um, and I, I think that, well, I mean, you know, talk about emotions. Okay, my emotional reaction to some of this is if you care about the environment or if you say you care about the environment and you do not support this project, then you're a hypocrite because we're doing so much more to clean up this industry, which needs to be cleaned up, than anyone gives us credit for. And we're trying to explain that story to people who are supposed to care, and they just don't want to listen. Uh, doesn't fit their their model. Um, but yeah, the, a lot of more copies. Uh, there were, you know, just a, out of that 11,000, there were only uh, several hundred individualized, or, you know, identifiably individual comments. And a lot of them were very thoughtful. And, you know, because of that, of course, we spent more time responding to those than the others because some of them we had to actually do work on to make sure we responded properly. <clears throat> but we did so. And I appreciate every one of those comments. The fact that an organization can convince, you know, 8,000 people to press the send button on a, on a canned response is some people consider that a, you know, a questionable commitment to doing anything. But in my book, you know, the fact that somebody read something decided, well, I guess I have to at least do that, it deserves a response. Um, so, yeah, we treated each one separately and individually and, and tried to respond appropriately. Um, but, you know, there is a patience uh, point, and we we're starting to get frustrated with some of the ongoing opposition because it seems to us that they just will never, ever want to even listen to what we're saying. How much of this is, um, I guess, a, a question or a fear that they're putting into regulators' heads or the public's heads or something that, you know, after you guys get this constructed and passed permits, this and that, it'll just be the Wild West after that, and there's no regulation on you after that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but after you guys get this up and running, you still have criteria you have to meet, don't you? Yeah, the air quality permit grants limits on every single emission. And unlike old refineries, we are going to monitor each and every one of those individually, continuously and that information is available on a continuous basis to the agency uh, you know it doesn't quite work this way but just imagine a big red button at the, uh, the health department's office in uh, Bismarck if we go over those limits they hit that button period and we shut down until we fix the problem um, you know knowing that that can happen keep an operator from ever reaching those limits, let alone crossing that line. So what's the timeline look like? Um, I know you kind of briefed it earlier on, but um, where, where what's the next uh, six months to a year look like for you guys? Well, 
we'll be back out in the field in the spring, as I mentioned, <clears throat> and, you know, getting steel up in the air. I think uh, being in operation by the end of 2020 is starting to get questionable uh, because of the delays that we suffered on the on permits. And also, whenever we have a winter like the one that you guys are having up there now, uh, people start to worry about schedule. So, you know, we'll <clears throat> excuse me. We'll be in operation certainly. You know, for second quarter of 2021, the way it looks now. Any final thoughts as we kind of wrap up here on the uh, Davis Refinery update from the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, Mr. William Prentice? Any final thoughts? Well, you know, uh, first time we talked uh, a couple of years ago, we were real eager to get started. And uh, I was saying how how proud we were of our effort and eager to be part of uh, North Dakota's energy scene. Uh, we're still eager for that to happen. Uh, it's been shoved down the road a little bit, but we're going to get there and be in operation soon. And we'll be very, very happy to be part of the North Dakota energy scene. And that was William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, talking about the Davis Refinery coming to Belfield, North Dakota. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is The Crude Life Week in Review. Just the sound of the freeway Kissing you in the dark And your baby blue eyes. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Up next, Josh Swanson with the Vogel Law Firm talking about the Wilkinson Lake Sakakawea court case. Josh Swanson, Vogel Law Firm. Outstanding. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, dual interview here today. Um, well, first of all, you're, you do bison podcasting, right? Yeah, I do. You know, that's something we uh, started. A couple of years ago at the Bison Illustrated Magazine, and uh, yesterday we actually recorded our 75th episode. Okay, so we'll talk about that in the second half of the interview. In the first half, uh, let's talk a little bit about your uh, professional world and the stuff that you have going on the oil and gas world has to do with some mineral rights and um, other land issues and mineral issues, I guess. So uh, briefly, just kind of give us an overview of the last five years, what's been going on with these lawsuits that just keep coming up and down and up and down? Yeah, and that's a really good question because they, they really run the whole range from issues involving surface use agreements with landowners where an oil company is looking to put on a, a well pad or a pipeline to negotiating leases and lease disputes, whether you know, when we had the boom a few years ago, then the bust, and now that things are picking up a little bit again, there's questions as to whether there was uh, production that held leases per the terms of the lease. So we, we get involved in those kind of disputes. And, of course, most of your listeners are probably familiar with uh, the Wilkinson case involving the minerals under Lake Sakakawea and the state's unconstitutional taking. And you know, seemingly some days that seems like it'll drag on in, into perpetuity and we'll never have resolution, and that's still slowly meandering its way through the court system, despite the fact we had a decision from the North Dakota Supreme Court 
nearly 18 months ago back in September 2017, so we're pushing hard to get resolution on that, and I, I know that there's some legislators in Bismarck that are taking a look at that again to see if there's anything they can do to expedite the process. So, you know, with, with mineral owners, there's, there's always different issues, and of course, what uh, your listeners, I don't think we've ever visited about it. I do represent a couple oil and gas companies on, on a variety of lawsuits, so we do a little bit of litigation for them involving uh, different working interests, rights, overriding royalty interests, and different deals they work out amongst each other. So it's, uh, it's a good area of practice to be in. We have great clients, and uh, we're particularly fortunate to, to represent the surface owners, farmers, and ranchers that we do. You mentioned that Wilkinson case. Uh, what, what's the latest on that? You mentioned that there was a recent court case, and is that going to be uh, challenged? Court decision. Yeah, so the, yeah, the back last fall, so the fall of 2018, after Wanken Associates, they were the firm, and, and I think you and I had visited about this, that the statute that was the result of Senate Bill 2134 during the last legislative session two years ago that uh, determined that the state's interests were limited to what was within the historic Missouri River as it existed pre-Garrison Dam. So that, that, that uh, statute required a survey to be done, which was completed by Wink and Associates. The Industrial Commission adopted that in September 2018, and we had sent a letter to the Attorney General's office saying, okay, can we finally push forward and get this thing done? They were non-responsive, and the, the dilatory and obstructive tactics continued where the state sought an indefinite stay of that litigation. Um, we objected to that, saying the Supreme Court was very clear in its directive in its decision from back in September 2017 to address two very narrow and specific issues. One, does uh, Chapter 61-33.1 of the North Dakota Century Code apply to the property? It uh, By the you know, clear and unambiguous language of the statute, it certainly does apply because the Wilkinson's property is within the boundary specifically described and identified in the statute. And the second issue remanded by the Supreme Court was if the, the state ends up with the property, then that's an unconstitutional taking that needed to be addressed. So in December, the district court denied the state's motion and ruled in our favor and said the parties had to submit a scheduling plan to the district court to address those two issues. And that's the most recent uh, machinations in that case. And, and you know, I, I'd say, believe it or not, Jason, but you and I have talked enough about this where I think, you know, at least for myself, I'm not surprised by really anything the Attorney General's office does anymore. But in, a, in our attempt to work out a scheduling agreement with them, I sent them an email and a letter in December after the court denied the state's motion to continue this indefinitely. The state did not respond to, to my request to try to come up with a, a joint scheduling agreement on that. So I sent three separate emails over the next three and a half weeks to the state before they finally responded, and they still refused to address the issue. So I emailed them back saying, well, if we can't figure it out in email, let's do what reasonable, pe reasonable people do. Let's get on the telephone and, you know, we're all grown-ups. Let's work something out. 
But instead of calling me back and, and trying to work it out, the state filed a, a procedurally um, improper motion for uh, asking the court to give them a blank check and adopt the state's own scheduling agreement, which they didn't reach uh, with any consultation with us or any of the other parties. And and frankly, the, the motion they filed isn't even contemplated by the rules. So we we had to respond to that. We've requested sanctions against the state um, for refusing to comply with the court order and for continuing to unnecessarily delay this and, and cause our clients to rack up many more thousands of dollars in attorney's fees. And, and here we are coming up on March 2019, and we still have not moved forward one iota since the Supreme Court issued its decision. So it's, you know, I, I'm hoping one of these days when we visit, I'll be able to say the case is concluded and it's, and it's finished. But uh, my concern is we may be into the administration of a couple presidents down the road before we ever get to that point. I've heard this theme several times over the past uh, several times over the past few months, but increasingly more over the past five years, and that is how difficult it is to work with and communicate with the state of North Dakota. And do you find that that's the case in other examples too, or are other cases, or is it just this one specific case? No, I, I think it's a fair. You know, it's, it's painting with a broad brush, but I, I think it's certainly fair. I know other attorneys in our office have dealt with uh, the attorney general's office on some if, on some issues where they were difficult to deal with and, and operated as if the, the rules either didn't apply to them or, or frankly, they were going to just do whatever the hell they wanted, you know, consequences be damned, and it didn't matter that, uh, you know, that, that uh, private parties are, are held to a, a certain standard. They were going to do whatever they felt that they uh, desired to do. Um, it, it seems to me it's, it's more of an issue with maybe some of the executive branch departments. And, and, and you know, yeah. my experiences have, have been with the attorney general's office in this particular case. You know, we've dealt with them on some other issues where, you know, every once in a while they're fairly cooperative and good to deal with. I can tell you that since the uh, the new land commissioner came aboard, she's had more of an open door than the last land commissioner and has been um, better to work with from, from our perspective. The, the legislators out in Bismarck that are meeting this session, I can say that they've, they've been receptive to our, um, our communications involving this case and, and other cases, and they... They try to do their best, I think, and, and I, uh, you know, certainly want to recognize that in their efforts because they've they've tried to at least work with us and, and see what they can do. But it seems to me that this is certainly an issue with the attorney general's office and uh, ex- the executive branch of state government, where you have North Dakota citizens and taxpayers, and it's not just the Wilkinsons. I mean, you're talking about hundreds, if not thousands, of mineral owners that are impacted by this case. And it just continues to languish where the Supreme Court has said, you guys need to figure out these two issues. And the AG's office, for for whatever reason, wants to keep kicking this can down the road. And, you know, one of the things we told the district court in our brief, which is a public record, you know, anyone can go to the courthouse or get a copy of that, 
is that it, it, it seriously, and, and I'm, I'm being literal here, it takes less time for a case to work its way up to the United States Supreme Court and get a decision from the highest court in the land than it's taken our clients to get relief in this case. And this is a lawsuit that's entering its seventh year now. So that's part of the reason in our most recent response to the state's motion, we've asked for sanctions. Mr. Josh Swanson, hold that thought for a moment. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Josh Swanson with Vogel Law Firm. We're talking about the Lake Sakakawea wilkinson court case impacting oil and gas mineral ownership. All that plus much more here. Josh Swanson, Vogel Law Firm. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Week in Review. This week we're spotlighting Brooks West, the singer-songwriter. Check his website out, brookswestmusic.com. That's brookswestmusic.com. This is singer-songwriter Brooks West. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you will let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. From apartment to apartment, state to state, and it doesn't really matter where I go. There's only one place I could call my home. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Up next, we continue our conversation with Josh Swanson with Vogel Law Firm. And that was Josh Swanson with Vogel Law Firm talking about the Lake Sakakawea Wilkinson court case that impacts oil and gas mineral ownership, as well as the increase of the North Dakota government coming into businesses and competing with them and trying to also impact their mineral ownerships and creating new revenue streams. All kinds of things happening in that interview with Josh Swanson. Okay. For more information or more exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is The Crude Life Week in Review. In our most recent response to the state's motion, we've asked for sanctions because the, uh, this is causing real heartache and costing our clients a lot of money for relief that the, you know, the Supreme Court ruled in a decision to address these two issues, and the state just refuses to do that. Josh Swanson, Vogel Law, with us. We're talking about right now the uh, uh, the, the Wilkinson case, right? Correct. Okay, Wilkinson case involves the minerals under Lake Sakakawea, and the state kind of did a flipper switcheroo, and just very briefly, 
How how did this come about? Because in my memory, it's the state all of a sudden decided they want wanted the minerals because your clients who are landowners, you, your clients are not a corporation, right? You, it's just, they're just landowners. Yeah, they're you know they're fourth, fifth generation North Dakotans who are you know proud, very proud of their history and heritage in the state, and you know they're not they're not an investment group, they're not a corporation. They're salt of the earth, real life North Dakotans. And then the state, how, how did they go about getting the minerals or attempting to get the minerals? It had to do with the dam in Lake Sakakawea, and somebody felt the need that the original survey done by the Army Corps of Engineers back when the river was the river and was surveyed. Uh, that wasn't good enough, so they redid it in today's day and age when the water's flooded like it is. And is, am, am I am I bullet pointing this right, or kind of kind of jump in a little bit and get, give us that summary? Sure, and I think as far as a thirty thousand foot overview, that's that's pretty accurate. So the the long story short of it is, back when the the federal government acquired hundreds of thousands of acres in in central and and western North Dakota for Lake Sakakawea. That would uh, the, the inundation that would be caused by Garrison Dam. The federal government came in and acquired that property. So the state of North Dakota has been a stranger to title the entire time. The state of North Dakota has never, never had an interest in any of this property. So folks like my clients and, and many, many others, they had the minerals reserved in them when the U.S. acquired the property either via deed or via a condemnation proceeding, the the government, the feds back in the 50s said, you can do it one of two ways, landowner. You can sell us your property via deed, and you can keep the mineral rights, or we're going to initiate an uh, imminent domain proceeding. We're going to get a court order requiring you to, to convey, convey us that property, and we'll compensate you accordingly under the Fifth Amendment. So that was the, the universe that everyone was operating in, and for you know the better part of half a century, folks like my clients entered into private oil and gas leases with these companies because no one ever questioned their ownership of it. And then, you know, when the, the boom came about and, and the, you know, the technological advancements with horizontal drilling, the oil companies were able to, to get the oil and gas resources underneath Lake Sakakawea. And they're, they're very, you know, as you know, valuable resources. And the, the wells out there are very good producing wells. So someone either with the land board at the time or the attorney general's office had the bright idea that they would make the claim, and this this is so outlandish and it sounds so absurd, but the, the state made the claim that because that property was flooded, because government flooded that property, that somehow gave the state of North Dakota ownership of the mineral rights to that. So their, their argument boils down to because that property was flooded, by the federal government, we, as in the state of North Dakota, now own those minerals. And that they, you know, they argued that position to the Supreme Court in our case, and the, the Supreme Court rejected that decision. And that's, you know, that's a blatant textbook definition of a taking. And the reason that the state had claimed it, I mean, I think it's that old adage in, in politics, business, whatever, just follow the money. The, the state saw the dollar sign, someone had an idea. And they went about claiming all these private minerals when they never had a right to it in the first place. And here we are, you know, a decade afterwards and after a Supreme Court decision 
after legislation passed by the legislature and signed by the governor, and we still don't have any relief or an answer to it. And like I said, these these minerals in the past had been paid out to landowners in the 60s or whenever it was in the past. There was or something like that, right? There's there's records. Yeah, that, they, go ahead. Yeah, and that's that's one of the that's and that's a great question, Jason. And, and that's exactly it. And that was a key key part of the decision in the Supreme Court case and paragraphs. And it's funny, I, you know. I've read that decision so many times and cited it in so many briefs and, and letters where I can tell you paragraphs 21 to 20, 24 from the top of my mind without having the decision in front of me. But paragraphs 21 to 24, the Supreme Court recognized the fact that our clients own those minerals, and, and part of that ownership was evidenced by the fact that they had been leasing those mineral rights for the for literally the last 50-plus years. There's leases going back that far and our clients' family and, and many, many other mineral owners' families where they'd been leasing the minerals they owned. You know, in our case, what's so, you know, for me, growing up in North Dakota, having a respect for, you know, the, the country we live in, the rights that we have as Americans, and, and what our uh, military has done for us and uh, everything back back to World War II, protecting the, the free world from totalitarianism and the fascism in Europe, my clients... Uh, had kids that were farming that property that was acquired by the feds that went over to Europe and were fighting in World War II. And, and one of our clients in that case who passed away recently, she was one of the named plaintiffs, she went into Williston and got her driver's license when she was 14 years old from a judge there so she could help out and on the farm and drive the grain truck because her two older brothers were off serving our country and fighting in World War II yeah, now the state is claiming those very same minerals that our clients were farming before and during World War II, where one of our clients was driving the grain truck on the property. That was the land that was acquired by the federal government for Sakakawea as a result of Garrison Dam. And so, you know, I, I have so much empathy, and, and I'm just, you know, quite frankly mad as hell and very passionate about it because these folks have lived here their entire lives. They, you know, they trace their family stories going back to the early 1900s. You know, they, they went through World War II. They went through the, the Cold War, the, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the ups and downs in North Dakota's economy, some rough patches with our agricultural sector, and now with this energy economy we've been blessed with. I mean, they, they've seen it all, and now they're stuck in this fight going on for nearly a decade where they keep half to spending money to, to fight the state of North Dakota a state that should be looking out for their best interests, a state that should be fighting for them, but instead they're having to go up against the attorney general's office and literally spend hundreds of thousands of dollars fighting for something that has been in their family going back to World War II. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Up next, we continue our conversation with Josh Swanson with Vogel Law Firm. And that was Josh Swanson with Vogel Law Firm talking about the Lake Sakakawea Wilkinson court case that impacts oil and gas mineral ownership, as well as the increase of the North Dakota government coming into businesses and competing with them and trying to also impact their mineral ownerships and creating new revenue streams. All kinds of things happening in that interview with Josh Swanson. Okay. For more information or more exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. 
My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Week in Review. and separated and every step I take falls on foreign ground and I feel like going back to North Dakota I'll take a job find a wife and finally settle down but right now I'm addicted to emotion and freedom at my selfish Solitude provides And I'd hate to think That I'd become a stranger To the place where I was born Where my heart still resides Where the nighttime lights Earth and light on the horizon Under the soft red glow Of the wintertime city clouds Meridian Energy Group of Belfield, North Dakota, is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. MeridianEnergyGroupInc.com. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. You can run from the wintertime in the midnight black. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, Nicholas Beerus with the Magna Beerus Oil. Well, a lot of, <laughs> yeah, it, it was really, it was an interesting story because a lot of people don't know Magna Beerus Oil. We are a Wyoming corporation, but we have, we don't have all our offices in Wyoming. Uh, managing members of our company ha- each have their own office in their location, and one of those locations was actually Paradise, California. And I had a call after the fire in Paradise, and they said, "Well, our office caught on fire." And I was expecting like a little off, you know, a little uh, computer fire or something like that. And I said, "Well, I'll just tell them to fix it." They said, "No, you're not watching the news, are you?" And I have to tell you, you know, when you get out drilling oil, well, sometimes you don't get cable and all that good stuff, so you, you miss out on the news. But they said the building burned down. And I was, you know, my reaction was, you know, what about our interest? They said, no, you're not understanding. The whole town burned down. So <laughs> right now it's impossible to put a building back up in Paradise. So it's our, our accounting office is actually, and it's one of our accounting offices, but it held most of our main records. It was moved to a different location. And right now they're up and running again, thank goodness. And uh, just wanted to let everybody out there that is associated with Magnabers know that you may have thought you were being ignored or something at some time, but we had to retrieve all our files files from internet space and uh, we're oil people, not computer people, so we had to bring somebody in to help us do that. But we're back up and running now and everything's great. And I just wanted to kind of take this opportunity because uh, you, you, your organization has interviewed us a few times and we do have people that listen to your program where everybody knows everything's okay. And hey, we're back up and doing what we need to do. 
So this was the, obviously the wildfire out in California. Yeah. So did you have an opportunity to talk to anybody that worked there to get kind of a boots on the ground, what they're experiencing? Well, yeah, that's, I mean, what, that's what I was saying. Yeah, the lady, the lady that runs the office, uh, she was telling me that uh, they were sitting there just, you know, one day it was okay, and the next day all of a sudden they were getting, you got to evacuate, and they got to evacuate, and they didn't even have time to get any of the records out. They didn't have time to move anything. The computers went down. Uh, the files went down. Everything went down in the fire. So, so that's how- why it kind of took us a while to, to regroup because it was, it was all destroyed. Well, how do you deal with that? I mean, because this was your business and this was, well, it was a, a, a office location, but you have so many other people that are not a part of that wildfire. So they're not impacted. And you know how it is, out of sight, out of yeah. mind. And if it isn't part of our daily life, you know, we don't know about it. So um, how, how did you guys deal with that? I mean, obviously, you probably sent an email out or something like that. But just walk walk me through a little bit about uh, just... How you guys, and this is part of it, by the way, we should point out part of this is getting on this program and letting people know that, hey, this is what happened. You know, like you said, we weren't trying to ignore you. We, we got burned down and, you know, it, because people are busy. There's so many different ways to to contact people. There's so many different ways to ignore right. people and that sort of thing that you almost have to take different avenues just for something as as you know, you would think as easy to tell people as, as a wildfire burned our office down. But I should point out, this is part of you telling other people. But talk to me about some of the other things that you guys have done and uh, just that whole process. Because you also have another business that you got to run called Day-to-Day Life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, huh. uh, you know, when we our investors are our main concern because they keep our lifeblood running. And we weren't able to, our server and everything went down. It wasn't a situation where I could just get on the internet and change stuff because our server was actually private. So it went too when it went. But uh, we, we did what we could by emails. We did what we could by, uh, you know, phone calls from what the records we had. Now, you know, you're going to have some people, like you said, they're going to complain about things because they didn't get notified. It wasn't because we were trying to be vicious or, or not you know, informative is because the information was in internet land and we had to retrieve it before we could contact anybody. So, you know, you're going to have those that complain. You're going to have those that say, you're not going fast enough for me. You got people that say, where's this, that, and the other. And we try to say, you know, be patient, let us fix this first and we'll get all your information to you. But Was there uh, anything that you guys didn't have like digital? Uh, Obviously if you had things in the cloud or, if um, there's some things that were digital, you could save it or backed up on well, hard drives, that sort of thing. Yeah, everything was backed up in the cloud. I, I guess that's what they call it. Yeah. I'm old, man. I'm not, a, I'm not a computer guy, but I guess it's called the cloud or whatever, something else similar to that. But it just had to be retrieved, and then they had to go through it. I mean, it was just a long, drawn-out process. It wasn't just as simple as someone saying you push a button and everything's back. It's not like that. It was more to it than that. We had to find saved emails that were in the server, and there's just a whole bunch of stuff. And, yeah, uh, I kind of chuckle because, um, you know, I'm setting up, I'm helping a, a, some universities set up podcasts for their uh, um, for their business departments. One, one of the consulting things we do on the side is help people, you know, set up podcasts. You know, we've been doing doing radio programs for 25 years, so we, we have a little experience. And so when we start pointing out some of the things that they got to do just on a day-to-day, they, their eyes get really big. And I look at them and I say... Listen, the Pipeliners podcast, the guy's a CEO for a company and he does it on the side and he employs four people just to do his weekly podcast. Just because 
it sounds easy in your head and you can find a checklist online and you can, there's still the action of somebody's got to do the actual work. And that's where I see where you guys are that, yeah, it might be easy to, you know, retrieve it from the cloud and, and, and get back at it, but there's an actual timeline and somebody's got to actually do that. And like I said, you guys had your daily lives to worry about. You got to stop or pull away from your daily lives in order to now retrieve those files and redo to make sure everybody's got communication and that sort of thing. Um, how does that work remotely like that? I mean, is that, has that strengthened you guys or are you still trying to figure out how to work through the chaos? Well, no, it, actually the process that we used is very strengthening for our company because if you think about it, one of the main things when you deal with an oil and gas company as far as doing an oil well is their overhead. Um, you know, and I'm not, I'm not going to say a certain region or anything, but there's places you could drill a well for $300,000 and complete it for the same amount, but they have to charge 700000 And it's not, a, it's not a, a, a bad thing for them to do that. It's just that they have overhead, they have office expenses, they have employees, and they have to pay for those too. And it's like if you buy a car at an auction, you know, you have a right to make a profit off something you own. And if they're going to, you know, release an oil well for somebody to drill and they're going to lose so much income by somebody paying to drill, they deserve a little profit on top of it. Everybody does that in business. But if you can keep your overhead low, and that's what we kind of do is with our members, each member has a specific responsibility when it comes to the company. And they have their own office, and they cover their own overhead. To listen to the full-length interview with Nicholas Beerus with Magna Beerus Oil, or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. And that's going to do it for today's program. My name is Jason Spies. I'd like to thank you very much for joining us here on the Crude Life Week in Review. We're going to be back next week at this time on this radio station. I'd like to thank William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, Josh Swanson with Vogel Law Firm, Nicholas Beerus with Bagna Beerus Oil for joining us here today. Of course, those interviews and other exclusive interviews can be found at thecrudelife.com. We also have social media pages from Facebook to YouTube to Twitter. We've got a number of different ones in different shale plays from the Haynesville to the Bakken to the Marcellus to the Nile Brer to the Eagleford to the Permian. All kinds of different uh, shale play social media sites. If you go to our website, click on the social media tab, thecrudelife.com, click on the social media tab, and you can check out our Facebook network, our Twitter network, our social media network. 350,000 followers, 350,000 energy enthusiasts we have here at the Crude Life Media Network, and we would love it if you would join us as well. From the staff, here at the Crude Life Week in Review, my name is Jason Spies asking you to keep calm and frack on. Now you're running on a thin line through a frozen void. No feeling in your fingers, no other choice. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. <laughs>
You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 